Welcome to Urban Puritano. On today's episode, we scratch the surface on all things politics. What's the relationship between the state and the church? How should a Christian function under Caesar? Stay tuned, gird your loins, and strap in for a great episode with a guest, my own pastor, Pastor Brandon Myers. All Christians are urban Christians. Whether you live in Graceville, Florida, or Chicago, Illinois, the believer is on a pilgrim's journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city. As we endeavor to live unto God in this world, our faith looks for the city which is to come, whose architect and builder is the living God. You are not alone on your journey. As you travel the narrow way, know that a great cloud of witnesses went before you. Many travel alongside you, and while the Lord tarries, many will follow the same path after you. But until the heavenly city is brought to us, or we to it, one such pilgrim is your fellow traveler. He is Urban Puritano. Hello there, Pastor Brandon. How are you? I'm doing really well, brother. Thanks so much. How about yourself? Pretty good. Pretty good. I've been uh, kind of anxious to speak with you again since our last interview because you had briefly mentioned you were a, a political science major and that interest kind of remained with you as you uh, you know, carry out your responsibilities and live your life and you live your calling, your pastor, Christ the King, Reformed Baptist Church. So I was curious, especially in our day and time, right now with all the things going on, uh, what your take is in general on uh, Christians and politics. I know that a lot of our um, brothers that are theologically inclined uh, don't particularly like politics because it's so divisive and it's so contentious and uh, the servant of the Lord must not be contentious. (laughs) But, um, you know, when we hold on to uh, opinions on theology or the application of theology, which may include politics, mm-hmm. hey, we get passionate about things. And uh, especially in the U.S., yep. the situation is so volatile, has been for the last few years, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. some would say decades. Yep. Um, the world, the way it is, we are on the brink of a nuclear war, uh, in case anybody has uh, not been paying attention, uh, where uh, I think I remember hearing recently in the last couple of days, um, empty nuclear shells from England are going to be provided to Ukraine, and uh, the president of uh, Russia has said, hey, we're going to respond in kind if that's the way it is. So things just seem to be escalating. And we have Christians on one side supporting um, Ukraine. There's Mm -hmm. Christians on the other side saying, hold on, hold on. We have... uh, the most uh, divisive former president saying he could end it in 24 hours. <laughs> What's a Christian to do? Who do we believe? What do we do? Yes, we pray. Yes, we mm-hmm. uh, speak peace and things like that. Um, and then there's all these other local issues, obviously. Uh, I think it was, what was it, last year or two years ago? When was it? The, I think it was last year where the Roe versus Wade decision seemed to come out of nowhere. Yeah. 
and uh, you know people didn't see that coming necessarily until you know it was leaked, and uh, they didn't find the leaker, and uh, nobody will be punished <laughs> for that. That's right. But, um, but that happened, and that to me indicates that hey, there's you know these strenuous efforts for uh, political change are not in vain necessarily. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, you know that does uh, provide some hope to people carrying out you know that type of mission. Um, maybe it's not the mission of every single church member to be involved in, but uh, ethically, it is something that our voice has to oppose, you know, yep. abortion, abortion on demand and things Absolutely. like that. So Absolutely. Uh, I just toss those things out there, you know, just because these are a mix of issues. There's so many more issues. Uh, as we do on Urban Puritano, we scratch the surface. And we want to touch on things, mm -hmm. and we want to stimu stimulate conversation. And obviously, we could turn all those things into prayer uh, motivations to pray. You know, so yep. um, introduce yourself to our audience once again, so yep. that they are reminded. And uh, let's get it going. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a it's a joy to be here with you, brother. I'm honored to be on the podcast again, and really enjoyed our conversation last time. So. Yeah, I'm uh, Brandon. I am um, married to Katie. We have uh, five children, uh, two daughters, and three sons, uh, in God's kindness. And I've been here at the church for um, the last couple of years, actually two and a half years. Uh, this October will be three years. Hard to believe that. Before that, I served actually in uh, free churches. So for nearly 10 years, I was a pastor in two different free churches and uh, still have many friends in the free church. Uh, we could probably do an episode on the free church at some point as well. Um, that'd be another very interesting topic um, about how we landed in a confessionally Reformed Baptist uh, setting, no doubt. But yeah, it's been a joy to serve here um, in uh, the confessional Reformed Baptist independent church setting. Uh, the Lord's doing some good work to revitalize this uh, this local church to his glory. So we praise God for, for what he's doing. Um, and as you mentioned, yeah, I I uh, studied uh, political science and history back at uh, Taylor University in Indiana, small liberal arts uh, interdenominational Christian school, um, and uh, studied there and was surprised when I first came there because I'd always had somewhat of an interest in um, in politics. My dad and I talked often about politics. You know, I can remember being on vacation and we're um, talking about uh, presidential history and we're talking about um, just congressional. Um, uh, parlance and these kinds of things. N not not your normal kind of conversation um, that you might have. My dad uh, would, would listen often to Rush Limbaugh, so you got some of that as well, uh, Rush Bow and these kinds of things. So um, it was interesting because growing up, uh, politics was not something that was shied away from being discussed, whereas I think in some homes that was the case. Um, and I always had an interest in discussing some of these matters, and they do touch on, as you had mentioned, um, uh, be, beyond just the civil realm and kind of out there, they touch on a number of spiritual matters as well. And so it's it's really unavoidable when you think about it. If the Lord is serious, and he obviously is in his word when he says that the two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on to say on these two commandments uh, hinges all the law and the prophets, right? So there's this big, broad, encompassing um word from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ concerning what we ought to be about. And um, the reality is that the politics and um, legislation that affects other people's lives, 
um, spills out into this area of love. And so I always encourage people who are maybe apolitical or um, kind of think of themselves as above the fray. You know, some of these evangelicals say things that are, in their minds, all all cutesy. You know, when they say it of, I'm too liberal for conservatives and too conservative for liberals, right? They try to find that happy, squishy middle place. Um, and uh, I think a lot of those things are, are built on unhelpful cliches and they don't really understand the gravity of the, the situation that we're in. Um, when uh, we as Christians should realize laws do affect people's lives um, uh, for many generations to come. And it takes a lot to get bad laws undone uh, and <laughs> to remove some who are power hungry and who are ultimately worshiping the state, worshiping Caesar, and that is their God. Uh, we have to realize that we're up against people who actually are engaged in, in um, a kind of worship. Um, the state is their God, uh, or power is their God. And so this is not going to be an easy thing to push people towards thinking about power, about politics in a biblically faithful way. But I'll share more about that in a little bit. One of the things I would say, though, is in college, when I, when I changed my major to political science and history, I looked at a few different fields, but political science and history, again, were one of these things where I was like, well, I'm interested in these things. And then I took an intro to political science uh, course, and I did horribly in it. I got like the worst grade I had all throughout college. It was like a, a C plus or something like that. Worst grade I ever got in college. And I was like almost angry. So I almost feel like it was like this angry uh, sense of like, I, I know better than this. I can do better than this. And there was this humility of, oh, I didn't do very good in this course. But then I kind of changed my major. And then from there on out, I worked really, really diligently and uh, continued to pursue that. But I also tell you this, that at Taylor University, the professors there, I think I mentioned this last episode, they were not um, uh, conservatives in any way, shape, or form. The humanities departments, the history department, um, uh, they, they were overwhelmingly leftist liberals, supported Obama uh, back in 2008 when he was running uh, and, and was elected uh, shortly thereafter. And so uh, they were, by and large, uh, people who wanted to distance themselves, that is the faculty and many of the staff too, from uh, any kind of conservative, any kind of Republican, whatever else. And so that kind of forced some critical thinking in my mind. And I saw a lot of fellow peers go in to Taylor being more conservative in their values and principles and then leaving, if not apathetic when it came to politics, very liberal and leftist when it came to some of their convictions and values. But there, there's a number of reasons why that didn't quite happen to me. We could probably talk about those later on in the episode, but happy to dive into this matter of the state and how we as Christians should think through these matters and honor God and, and, and love our neighbor as well. Thank you, Pastor. Um, great thoughts. I just wanted to ask you, as you were speaking, I was thinking of something uh, from my past. I remember one of my early church sermon listening experiences as a child uh, in a Spanish-speaking church, uh, independent Baptist Church, the preacher was speaking on the institutions that God had ordained. Mm -hmm. And I remember him, even as a child up until now, um, marriage, the church, and government. And I, I wonder if there was one more. Mm -hmm. but those are the three that stood out or stand out until yeah. now. And in, in hearing you, when your experience at college with the different professors, does the variety and diversity of opinion on political matters mean that the Bible underdetermines mm -hmm. a position on the Christian and politics? Can we just 
you know, pick and choose and, you know, just uh, one thing is as good as another. What is it, if anything, um, what is the light that the Bible sheds on mm-hmm. politics? Why, why are such institutions instituted? Uh, yeah. Family, um, the church, and the state. What are the different realms? Mm-hmm. Um, what is our responsibility as individuals to each other and, and to the government? Uh, why must men be governed? Mm. Why? <clears throat> um, yeah. So I wanted to ask you that. What, what's your perspective on those things? Well, you know, it is it is fascinating to look throughout church history because this debate has been going on for a very long time. So um, you have Augustine's City of God where he's basically defending the notion that the pagans were accusing Christians of Rome's downfall. And he's basically in that book defending, um, no, that's not the case. They've been, Christians that is, have been peaceably existing and profitable and, and good citizens submitted, submissive to you know, not in any way like rebel rousers here in the, the Roman uh, state. But you also have the Lord Jesus coming um, in the New Testament and saying things that to our maybe 21st century, you know, postmodern ears don't sound explicitly political, but they, they very clearly are. So um, you, you've heard this from many other thinkers, you know, James White and many others have pointed this out. But, you know, the, the, the refrain that was often said and the, and the thing that Christians were called to was to pinch some incense over and say Kaiser Kurios, you know what I mean? And and just Caesar's Lord. Um and, and Christians rejected that outright and said, No, Jesus is Lord and that's very um overtly political language. But then if you look at the the, the language in the New Testament, it's also um picking up on first century Greco Roman language that is also applied, for example, Acts four twelve where it says there is no other name given under he- heaven by which we must be saved that name is obviously Jesus Christ, there's almost uh, phrase for phrase exact parallel to um, Caesar that is found that we have in the records. And so you see this, like, this is not um, neutral or apolitical. And sadly, what many Christians today in 21st century, you know, our context of the United States of America have embraced, um, that they will say, because they've seen some maybe ugly sides of people who are too political, they embrace a... I'm above the fray, and I won't get involved. And uh, they embrace a kind of quietistic, pietistic, um, maybe I'll vote, but I'm not going to get political because I don't want to be divisive. I want to be nice, these kinds of things. And uh, sadly, what that does is um, it actually hinders their witness for Christ. And I've seen this play out, by the way, with men who are not Christians, but men who wonder why the church is so effeminate, so cowardly, so timid, uh, so impotent, really. Um, because if the if the Church of Jesus Christ claims to be those who worship the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who worship and serve the One who says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me." John fourteen six. Um, why isn't there more uh, uh, of a vocal pushback when things are very clearly connected to evil and darkness and demonic? Um, we could look at um, what's um, all the rage today when it comes to these perverted things happening in, in public library spaces, right? We could look at um, uh, many individuals who uh, should be processed and, uh, and you know, put in prison, uh, if not even executed for some of the things in a more righteous country that they are doing um, when it comes to harming youth and harming children. That is irreversible, by the way. Um, the, the sexualizing of children is something that 
is happening, and it's very sad to see people who just apparently don't care, but it's happening at the arm of and the expense of the, the government. And so you have the civil magistrate who's taken aside, who's pushing children to uh, harmful sexual experimentation, um, harmful sexual immorality and perversions, and uh, acting as if that's just fine. And it's obviously not. Now, one of the things that's very interesting is I think that a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of Christians get confused on um, things that they hear these evangelical elites, the big evil leaders, saying. So, again, they pride themselves on saying, our church is packed full of um, those who vote for Republicans and those who vote for Democrats, right, as if that's a virtue. Um, but I'm just going to tell you, uh, brother, that at the end of the day, um, if someone is voting for a Democrat at a church um, in the United States of America, and in that Democratic platform, I'm talking here about the Democratic Party, as one of their planks and their core values, they have the desire to protect, advance, celebrate the slaughter of precious preborn girls and boys in the womb. They have, as a plank, as a platform, in the Democratic Party's, you know, website. You can find this easily. It's accessible. It's all over everything. A desire to defile and profane marriage. A desire to mock and undermine the Creator and the beautiful gender binary. Um, all these things harm disproportionately uh, women and children and the elderly and others who are vulnerable. That's who it harms disproportionately. And so love of neighbor uh, would reject uh, even having the sense of, yeah, we're proudly those who would support the Democratic Party. People are going to be like, oh, that's all partisan. So what are you saying, the Republicans are perfect? No, not by a long shot. Don't put words in my mouth. I didn't say that. I actually think there's a lot of cowards in the Republican Party that need to be held to account. I think there's a lot of people who are totally faking it, totally phony when it comes to their values of I champion life and I, I believe in marriage between one man and one woman and, and so on and so forth. So I'm not saying the Republican Party is, is God's party or anything like that. All I'm saying is that if one party is telling you in our platform, we value um, protecting a right to slaughter the most vulnerable in our society. We want to advance that. We think it's a good thing. Um, guess what? In our church, if we find that find that out, that will be a ma matter of church discipline. That will be a matter of you being called to repent. Um, and uh, it'll become it'll, it'll it'll be something that we need to teach on from the pulpit. We need to actually equip our people with because there's a number of people who might be converted right, and then not know or understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and what that looks like politically. But at the same time, if a church is actually faithfully preaching and teaching from the whole counsel of God's word, you can't help but come across text after text that talks about thou shalt not murder. Text after text that points us to the fact that the Lord is the author of life and uh, that life is a good thing that should be protected. And it's only, by the way, in the biblically rich uh, Christian worldview where you actually have any protection for uh, those who are vulnerable like that. You don't see that in any other any other worldview. And of course, um, Orthodox Jews who look to the Torah, who look to the Hebrew Scriptures would also have that. But by and large, um, uh, many Jews in our days have, they are very secular. They'll tell you that openly. I have a number of friends who are Jewish uh, who I grew up around, and um, uh, some are, are committed and devout, but by and large, most of them are not. And so they don't hold to that kind of Hebrew Scriptures the same way that even most Bible-believing Christians do. But the reality is that, that many evangelical Christians, uh, and we can just even say any who, I, who identify as a Christian in our, in our day, find themselves wanting to reject the political idolatry or be accused of, you know, you're overly political. And so they uh, kind of remain in their ignorance, and they, they allow themselves to be like, I'll tick off a vote once in a while, or maybe I won't vote at all. It's a matter of conscience. Um, and uh, meanwhile, 
a lot of laws and policies are being pushed and promoted that do harm people, that do um, lead to the entangling of a, a growing state. And uh, the, the Jewish commentator and conservative cultural commentator Dennis Prager once said, um, the bigger the state, the smaller the citizen. So if you keep having this big state that grows and grows and grows, and now what you have is corporations, big businesses, in bed with big, biz, uh, big government, and, and it dominates who? It dominates the individual, but it also dominates the family. And it weakens both of those uh, in terms of their rights, in terms of their responsibilities. So for, for us as Christians to act as if we don't live um, in a day when the state and the threat of the state is growing exponentially, uh, when there's no accountability for uh, giving money left and right to all these foreign causes without justification, right? Um, th- these are these are reckless things. These are foolish things. And meanwhile, you've got a lot of families who are who are suffering and struggling. No one wants to talk about uh, fentanyl and just the way that families are being devastated by that in the streets of Chicago. Even here, you you hear story after story, week after week, of all these people who are. Um, uh, dying of fentanyl overdoses and, and other kinds of things. And so one of the things that I think Christians have to realize is that um, they need to repent. There needs to be repentance for an unwillingness to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Of Guess what? You live in a republic, a constitutional republic. I know everyone calls it a democracy, but you're actually in a constitutional republic where you as a citizen uh, have an obligation to vote. And as many have pointed out, politics is downstream of culture but uh, culture is downstream of what? It's downstream of worship. And so this isn't a unique idea to me. Many guys in our day have said this. And so it really does start with the Church of Jesus Christ saying, we need to go out and be bold and make disciples of Jesus. We need to actually believe in this gospel. Because right now what you see is a lot of people who have a false gospel who believe it more than most evangelical Christians. And just like that Jehovah's Witness, right, who is going door to door and knocking and evangelizing, uh, how sad is it that that Jehovah's Witness and and some of these who are, um, in many cases, political leftists, they will do more for a lie or for their gods than most Christians will do for the, the true and living God they claim to worship. And so I just think a lot of Christians need to realize, we need to wake up and realize that liberty is one of these great gifts that is undeserved. And uh, at the end of the day, we're looking at kind of uh, our own building of the noose around the neck of our nation, right? And we're building it. We're, we're, we're building it with irresponsibility, with recklessness, with apathy, with um, this sense of politics is beneath me and I just want to focus on gospel work. People who say things like that, right? Well, is it gospel-centered? Politics isn't really gospel-centered and they have this kind of third-way view they want to embrace. But we live in a very polarizing society and uh, people just need to embrace that and realize that it doesn't mean that um, uh, there won't be any nuance when it comes to exploring issues, but you're going to see a lot of deception. We even see this lately with, I want to be holistically pro-life. You know, some of these Phil Vischer and Karen Swallow Pryor and others who try to lump in to the pro-life issue, things like climate change and things like, um, you know, the death penalty, being against that. If you're, you're not holistically pro-life unless you embrace all these ma- or oh, and being anti-poverty, right? So then what you do is actually you let off the hook a lot of evangelicals who want like their leftist co-workers and neighbors and friends and family to like them so then they can vote for the left and tick off that, you know, leftist thing because they're like, well, after all, their logic is poverty will help, uh, overcoming poverty will help us undo uh, those who actually want to seek abortions. And they have this like muddled way of thinking. But if you just apply it to any other context, go back to the time of slavery, right? Um, 150, 200 years ago. And you think about someone making that argument and saying something as silly as, you know, um, I'm holistically um, uh, pro 
uh, freedom when it comes to freeing the slaves. And I think the best way to do that is to get them out of poverty. I'm going to support the party that wants to keep them enslaved, right? I'm going to keep. I'm going to support that party, but I'm I, I'm going to help them and, and increase their standard of living. So I want their I want that to be allowed, right? It's just illogical. It makes no sense. And at the end of the day, if you can't tell me, yes, I, I believe there should be laws on the book that actually say uh, a preborn girl, a preborn boy in the womb is an equal image bearer of the living God. And Scott Klusendorf and many others have written very eloquently on this. Um, that is our neighbor who deserves equal protection under the law. And this is the problem that some Christians have today. They're uncomfortable with the idea of that is a life in the womb. Uh, that means that justice would demand life for life, back to Genesis 9, what the scriptures teach us. And in God's scheme of things, this is not hard. If you believe life for life, right, and hands that shed innocent blood, your hand should, act, your blood should actually be spilled as well. If you believe that in Genesis nine, that that is a post-Noahic covenantal with creation, right, uh, ordinance, then as most Christians have believed through history up until probably like five minutes ago, realistically, you actually believe that there is going to be the consequence of death uh, there for someone who actually would engage into the taking of a life, particularly a pre-born life. Um, who's supposed to be in that safe spot. And so you find a lot of people who are uncomfortable with that because they're like, what does that mean? Does the, does the mother then deserve the death penalty? Does the doctor? And historically, people have said the doctor does, but the mother is complicit in that as well. So You just reminded me of um, a few years ago, I think it was before the 2016 election, yep. um, candidate Donald Trump was being mm. interviewed. And I think... Uh, yep. The reporterette asked about that precisely, uh-huh. and he had said that there would have to be some kind of consequence yep. for the woman, the yep. mother. Yep. And I don't remember any other evangelical leader ever taking that position. As a matter of fact, I, I, I'm old enough to remember that for the most part, women were the initiators of abortion are looked upon as the victims. That's right. And it hasn't been until recently mm-hmm. that this um, detail has been kind of spoken about openly and maybe even promoted. And so, like, the pendulum is, is swinging yeah. that way. Well, it's, now, di- it's dividing even the SBC. So you have men who are abolitionists and are not calling for compromises but are calling for a whole... Uh, whole scale, hey, this should be abolished. There should be equal protection under the law. And there's others who are saying, let's praise God for incremental changes here and there, left and right. We're in a fallen world, so this kind of thing. I think there is a debate to be had there, but I will tell you this, that when I hear people saying things like, um, women are just innocent victims, I'll tell you, I can almost guarantee you that they have never preached outside an abortion clinic before and see the hardness of heart and the women who are flicking me off when I've done that over here in Wooddale. They know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. Now, does that mean there's not a unique case here and there? Of course there are. We can all say that. But by and large, I think that the people who say these kinds of things don't realize the hardness of heart that is going on there and how much it's actually not loving to withhold justice from something like that. Interestingly enough, last year I heard a woman give her testimony who had um, uh, a couple abortions, actually. And this woman who shared uh, this, she's now a born-again Bible-believing Christian, and God's kindness, she does have... Uh, her own children, she's married. Um, but her testimony was so powerful because what she said was, I walk on this earth expecting the authorities to come arrest me. I know that's what I deserve. And yet God has been merciful to me. And even though in a just law, or in a just land where laws actually prevailed and, 
and, and morality prevailed, that's what would take place. I would be punished in some way. Um, uh, so she said that, and it was this woman who said this at, uh, it was actually the Caring Network Conference down at Wheaton College, and praise God for them. I mean, they, they put that on, and it wasn't Wheaton College, it was just on Wheaton College's campus, to be clear. Um, but it was through a, a Caring Network, and I encourage all pastors to go to that. It's like a church summit thing. They had Cla- Scott Klusendorf a few weeks ago, but those kinds of things of equipping our people for that, it's grievous how many people in the Chicagoland area, um, and, and Chicago more and more is becoming this safe haven Pritzker's pushing it. Governor Pritzker's pushing it forward hardcore to have uh, this be like almost an abortion headquarters, safe haven across the nation in the Midwest, right? This kind of a thing. And um, uh, one of the things that we as Christians must do is to speak the truth boldly and um, call for repentance and remind them that they will stand before the judgment seat and give an account. And Proverbs 6, right? It says uh, there are six things the Lord hates, seven uh, that he finds an ab- a despicable abomination. What is it? And uh, it, one of those is hands that shed innocent blood. So Proverbs 24 tells us that we should be those who rescue those being led to the slaughter. This is not something that Christians have found uh, historically hard to know what to do. Now it's costly, but it's not hard to know what the text of Scripture tells us to do. And you have examples of this throughout history where, I'm forgetting his name, his name's escaping me, sort of the T, I think, but he was he was one of these uh, uh, Christians who threw himself into the gladi- gladiatorial rink, right? You probably heard of this guy, right? Telemachus. Telemachus. There you go. Telemachus is in there. And they eventually killed him. They thought it was part of the show, this kind of a thing. But that led, uh, that one man interceding, interposing, led to a lot of changes. And uh, eventually, in God's uh, kindness throughout history, many others rising up and being convicted about this. But you have mostly from the pulpit silence, fear, timidity, thinking, well, we can't talk about this because it's politics and uh, we don't want to lose our 501c3 status, these kinds of things, as if that's uh, justification for any of that. And it's, um, it's just being ashamed. It's being ashamed of the gospel. It's being ashamed of the God of the gospel. And it's so sad how many churches have never once touched on this. Um, when the scriptures could not be more clear. I mean, one of the things that many have pointed out, Wayne Grudem in his book, uh, Politics According to the Bible, I know Wayne a little bit, and we've talked some about this. I praise God for him being one of those voices, right? But he, he pointed out that when you look at the Lord Jesus in the New Testament, the word the Greek word is brephos, and uh, it, is the, it is the same word for an infant used outside the womb and inside the womb. And scripture is clear in terms of the witness of that. You see Isaiah referring to himself as in the womb, David, Jeremiah, Job, there's all these voices in the Old Testament. And when you look at, um, uh, even in the Levitical law, right, it is, it is an abomination, the Lord says, to offer your children up to Molech um, in the Old Testament. Because the idea that you would be able to sacrifice your child that the Lord gave you as a gift of life, um, so that you might have a, a more fertile crop season the next year, it's an abominable thing because it's, it's trying to uh, well, number number one, it's blasphemous in the eyes of God. You're trying to worship and serve false gods and idols, but also you're 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 doing what God hates, and that is um, murdering those who He has given life to. He wants us to protect. He wants life to be nurtured and grown up. And um, so, I think that in our day, we don't realize how how uh, pagan we are and how wicked we are, because this flows out of idolatry, right? This flows out of idolatry. Sixty million, sick by some count, sixty-three million. Babies dead, preborn millions alone in the United States dead. Um, it's more than all wars, and uh, and these children are discarded left and right. And you have a lot of Christians who just live their comfortable lives, want wealth, comfort, and ease, and are happy to um, fly their Ukraine flag and think that they've done their work for you know the pro-life cause. 
and it's 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 embarrassing and it's shameful and uh, there's a lot of repentance that most evangelical Christians uh, need uh, to, to be given and actually a lot of them need to be put under church discipline it flows from that as well a lot of them are just in faithless churches cowardly churches that are not putting them under church discipline and actually practicing that and care enough about who they are holistically right they need to know what's going on in my my congregants heart and life I want to know that I want them to know that here's the standard in terms of we worship and serve the living God and we fear him alone and we turn away from evil pastor I would wish that you would just spill out what you really think it's like pulling teeth here <laughs> but, uh, never been accused of that you know <laughs> Seriously, the kids would say that uh, you're based. That's what the, <laughs> That's what the kids would say. Yeah. But, um, you know, what I'm hearing you say is that uh, using some examples like abortion and some other things mm-hmm. is that, and going to scripture where we have these definite, clear principles, mm-hmm. moral principles, and the role of government, government shouldn't be cheerleading unjust mm-hmm. laws. Yeah. God is the author of what is just and it's true, it is good, it's beautiful, etc. Yeah. Why are you such a biblicist? Hello, this is Urban Puritano. I wanted to take a moment to speak with you about Pilgrim Digital. Pilgrim Digital helps small businesses, solopreneurs, startups, nonprofits, churches, parachurch organizations, and even individuals design the visuals that they need to stand out. Take Urban Puritano. It started off as a podcast in the pandemic era, and it has blossomed into a podcast, a website, a blog, a hub, basically for Urban Puritano, yours truly. Web design, graphic design, dynamic integration, even e-commerce, search engine optimization, social media consulting, the possibilities are endless. The bottom line is you shouldn't delay. Contact pilgrimdigital.co. Don't delay. Remember, Pilgrim Digital helps you stop dreaming and start creating. (laughs) Can't we just, you know, kumbaya... um... (laughs) Along the lines of some common notions of uh, what is just, what the government's role is in our lives? There's a good question. Um, Number one, when you look throughout the history of our nation and you look at the laws that are still on the books, there are many things that only make sense when you understand Scripture. So the idea that you would not accuse someone unless there are two or three witnesses there, there there are uh, innocent till proven guilty. These are things that you can find biblical... Um, proof text for or clearly find implicit in the text of Scripture in terms of how we ought to approach justice, how we ought to approach uh, matters of morality. And there's always been a healthy view of the state as being under, and not over, but under um, the authority of the Lordship of Christ. And so when you have that view, um, you, you inevitably find yourself in a spot where Yes, there are things when it comes to, you know, people People refer to it as common grace, general revelation, whatever you want to call it to, that we can appeal to when it comes to people know that murder is wrong. However, Scripture also says the heart's deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And we know that those who hate wisdom, according to Proverbs 8, it says those who hate me, and that's wisdom personified, right? The Lord is, is saying that in, in, in his word. 
those who hate me love death. And so there's going to be some who love death, and we can't be surprised when people reject that. And I would just say this, that um, at the end of the day, people are going to appeal to their highest source of authority. And so as a, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as a Reformed Baptist pastor who's um, in a confessional context who wants to see a um, revival, as it were, built on repentance um, and, and, and renewal of the fear of the Lord, right, this real sense of, of, of being born again, being regenerate, um, and, and seeing men and women uh, who fear the Lord, who turn away from evil, and not just who are, you know, on a high on a college campus, not, nothing like that. We're talking about genuine turning away from evil, genuinely turning to the Lord, and genuinely looking at His Word, and walking in His ways, and walking in His wisdom, and being and making disciples of Christ. I think that um, what it comes down to is everyone will appeal to their highest authority. And so everyone who says, well, the Bible isn't, it has no authority here, so stop appealing to it. Well, we can have an argument about common sense. Fine. I'm saying bring everything to the table. When it comes to your secular neighbor, don't leave the Bible at home. Vody Bakum says, why would you leave your strongest, sharpest weapon at home? Right? The Word of God never returns void. You should bring the Bible and bring common sense and persuasion and logic when it comes to the public square. Bring all those things, but realize that you are going into a place where people are dead in their sins and trespasses, that God of, this age has, God of this age has blinded them. So if you only come armed with reason, if you only come armed with some sense of, well, let's appeal to general revelation and the common sense of people, we are, we are way past that point. You have people defending uh, all sorts of perversions and abominations that just about five minutes ago would have gotten someone locked up or beat up or, you know, <laughs> or worse. Uh, you have people in our day and age who are, defending and promoting and celebrating things and saying you're the weird one because you want to sexualize my kid or, or other kids. So all I would say is with all due respect to the person who's saying, um, let's just let's just focus on being nice. Let's just focus on uh, common grace and general revelation. Um, go ahead and do that. But uh, don't expect me to leave at home the scriptures, which we know from the scriptures, John 5, 39, Jesus says, you search the scriptures thinking that in them you'll find uh, life, right? But they direct people to me. They bear witness to me. And so I'm going to appeal to the scripture because I ultimately want people to be at peace with God through Christ. And I want them to be those who actually come face to face with the living God and realize, wow, I have sinned against a God who is holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. Mankind is made uniquely in the image of God and for his glory. And the idea that I would just discard or or murder or even... Um, even do as uh, Abigail Schreier, not a Christian, by the way, says in her book, irreversible damage to this beautiful image of God. The idea that I would do that and promote that in the public square without shame? No, no, no. Those people need to be shamed. There needs to be a, a revival and a resurrection of the yuck factor. You know what I mean? Of this kind of repulsive, that, that's disgusting, um, what you're doing. And that's shameful. And you should be kind of pushed back in the shadows. People who are always talking about, well, we don't want someone to feel like they can't be themselves. What are you talking about? If that has to do with harming children, if that has to do with uh, promoting public perversity and abomination and that which actually will shorten my neighbor's life expectancy, um, you, you better believe I want to shove that back in the shadows and I want to see that go away. And so what it comes down to is I think a lot of people lack the integrity to actually say what the Bible says. A lot of people who are Christians and claim to believe the whole counsel of God's word, the sufficiency of the word, they are embarrassed because they realize that that will put them at odds with the 
spirit of the age, the God of this age. And so usually what I tell people who are pastors or even Christians who have opportunities to be in the public square or just engage their coworker over lunch is, is look, don't shy away from saying what the scripture says because that verse in that guy's heart or that coworker's heart, at the end of the day, that's what's going to stick with them. The spirit of God's going to take that word. And when they're awake at night about to hit, you know, on their pillow, they're going to think, oh, my coworker, she or he said this about this verse and what God's Word said, um, that's going to have long-lasting impact well beyond your clever argument about why, well, common grace and, and, and common sense and general revelation, these kinds of things, um, sure, appeal to that. But at the end of the day, if your heart is not right with God, if you don't have peace with God, that's going to hit a limit. And we need, we need in this country uh, people to be born again. We need people to be, in a fresh way, faced with their own mortality, faced with their own sense of all flesh is like uh, grass, right? And the reality is that uh, grass withers, the flower fades, like Isaiah 48 says, but the Word of God will stand forever. We need to have this real sense of, I will stand before my Maker. And we, we need people who are Christians in the public square saying to civil magistrates, saying to their fellow uh, man, uh, they need to be saying, you will stand before God, you will give an account, you will stand before that judgment seat. And uh, you will only have what you've done to go off of. We want to strike fear in people's hearts, and we want the law, as it were, of God, uh, the law, the law, as it were, frowned in the word of God to prick the conscience, to convict them concerning their sin. Ultimately, so that what they'll turn and trust in Christ, and the Spirit of God will use that in their life. So I think a lot of Christians don't know the Scriptures, <laughs> and I think a lot of Christians lose sight of the fact that throughout history, it has never been those who refuse to appeal to our sharpest weapon, right, the sword of the Spirit. It has never been those who are ashamed of the gospel who ultimately bring true transformation. And I'll just tell you this, one of the most fascinating articles that I read a few years ago, probably 10 years ago now, uh, maybe not quite that, but around there, um, I think it came out in 2009, so it wouldn't have been 10 years ago, but eight, whatever it was, years ago. Robert Woodbury is his name, and uh, he wrote an article uh, that was in the American Political Science Review. So um, uh, John Piper drew attention to this, and and uh, he's a sociologist, but he found that it was conversionary missionaries uh, across the nations who would go into these nations, and then they had a desire to see these people converted, to come to saving faith in Christ. They brought the most social change, as it were, when it came to just laws, when it came to ending uh, wicked, abominable practices, when it came to uh, gender mutilation of, of women, these kinds of things. So what brought that justice in? was not focusing on justice, 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 right? It was focusing on conversion. And uh, one of the lines that I've got my own beef with John Piper uh, on a number of things, I think he's been very unhelpful, particularly in the, in the realm of politics the last few years, just for what it's worth. Um, but I do appreciate one thing that he said, uh, and, and uh, I commend him for it, when he said, we as Christians care about all human suffering, but supremely eternal suffering. And that's right. I think there's, there's a lot of profound wisdom in that. Again, qualify with, well, I have issues with other things Piper said when it comes to social, political, cultural. I wish he'd stick to um, Calvinism and theology and, <laughs> you know, um, uh, not the not, not theology in the public square. I think he's put his foot in his mouth unhelpfully uh, as of late in the last few years. But I will say this, too, that one of the things I think those who'd be accused of being biblicists need to get over is the fact that you're always going to be accused of, of of names, right? It's And that's the worst that it is for most of us in 21st century um, America today. You're going to be called a name. You're going to be labeled. You know, you're you're a uh, Christian nationalist. You're a this or that. You know what I mean? You're a bigot, whatever else. Just get over it. You're going to be accused of that. And uh, honestly, um, if you're not ever accused of anything, you have to wonder how you're able to please so many people who are at such loggerheads with one another. 
because I see most of the church in the United States today as being uh, utterly impotent. I mean, they are the churchmen today, and and I praise God for the voices of God like Matthew Truhula, who has been arrested for preaching the gospel outside of uh, abortion clinics over the years. He's been a lone voice when it comes to the um, uh, the jab uh, mandates. He's been a lone voice when it comes to even the Russia-Ukraine situation and saying. There's a lot of propaganda that you're being given on that. Um, and uh, he's right. Um, the idea that all of a sudden there would be this almost proxy war set up um, and that uh, no one would question it. And, and the idea, too, that um, no one would have any hesitations when it comes to um, uh, jumping on a bandwagon of a state that actually the last few years wanted to, to poison you, has harmed you, these kinds of things. It's it's utterly insane. Um, but Petrula is a guy who wrote a book um called uh, The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates. I encourage all pastors to get that book. Really helpful just going through and saying, we ought to be those who know our sheriffs, know the local civil magistrates, so that we can speak to them and call upon them to stand in the gap when uh, higher magistrates, as it were, try to impose unjust laws upon us. And so throughout history, he traces in this argument the idea that we should, of course, not obey unjust laws. We should not do that. Anything that promotes more injustice that would harm others, you, you shouldn't do that, right? Um, but what do you do whenever there's a civil magistrate who's a higher civil magistrate, a president or something like that, who imposes upon all the populace uh, something that is unjust, something that is wicked? Well, one of the things Christians have done throughout history is appeal to local civil magistrates to say, stand in the gap, fulfill your duty. Romans 13, uh, 4 says that those who are civil magistrates are those who are appointed by the Lord, and they're the Lord's deacon, the Lord's servant, to praise those who do good and punish those who do evil. That's their job. And First Peter 2, by the way, says the same exact thing. And so it's a repeated New Testament command that defines the civil magistrate's office and actually puts it directly underneath the authority of the Lordship of Christ, but also then uh, narrows the focus. You cannot be in a civil magistrate position that is actually credible and legitimate that should be followed. Those who actually would promote and praise good and celebrate good, encourage others to do the same, um, that, that is unjust. That is actually not fulfilling your lawful, biblically defined role. And that will lead to uh, less uh, common phrase that Al Mohler and others like, human flourishing. I've also got some beef with uh, Albert Mohler as well. But it doesn't do that. It doesn't promote that. It actually leads to the exact opposite. And we've seen that. The detriment that those who would praise good, um, uh, or excuse me, praise evil. Because that's what's happening today. It's Isaiah 520 all throughout our land. It is those who are uh, saying... This is good, even though it's objectively evil. And this is evil, even though it's objectively good. We're seeing people like that who are deceived and deluded. And uh, Isaiah 520 is a verse that is uh, very apropos in our day. Uh, Woe to those who call good evil and evil good. Uh, because the Lord is coming, and a judgment is coming upon all those who would twist and pervert his word, who would ignore his word, who would uh, act as if they are God. And uh, frankly, uh, most civil magistrates who have this almost unlimited sense of their own power and their pompous and their pride, uh, especially the last few years with COVID. I mean, just no repentance from them. And in, here in Illinois as well, we just re-elected a governor who said some of the most arrogant, blasphemous, ridiculous lies um, again and again uh, uh, to our face and did it with a smile on his face. This, this overweight, unhealthy man talking about health, and we took it seriously. Um, and he's promoting what? Abortion. He's promoting... Uh, all sorts of sexual perversions and wickedness, gladly, proudly, and uh, he's blowing up the size of the state. Meanwhile, uh, corruption charges are being ignored. The media is not reporting on some of these things. And so 
Um, I, I would say one of the things that we as Christians in blue states and in Illinois especially need to do and get better at is just to say frankly, um, calling our civil magistrates to repent and saying, we love you, we love your soul, we want you to peace, be peace with God. You'll hear us pray here on Sundays often for specific civil magistrates and we'll say, Lord, where their agenda agrees with yours, may it advance and may it succeed, but where it does not, where it disagrees with your agenda, uh, may it fail, may it be exposed and may, you know, may, may it completely um, uh, go away. Because we want to see ultimately, yes, them converted themselves, but we also want to see um, their plans that are directly opposed to the kingdom of God, the lordship of Christ. We want to see those fail and be um, utterly cast out. Um, but sadly, you've got a lot of Christians who've not only enabled that, but even many who are self-professing Christians who, who voted for that. Why? Because orange man bad, these kinds of things, or whatever else it might be, um, or Darren Bailey had this um, accent and I don't like it or whatever else. It, it comes down to many people are uh, woefully uninformed. Many people are um, uninformed first and foremost about the scriptures. But then second of all, they almost wear as a badge of honor their ignorance when it comes to politics. So usually what I'll challenge people on is to say, do you know your sheriff? Do you know your local civil magistrates? Do you know those who actually represent you on a local level? If you don't know who your mayor is, if you don't know who these people are, if you never prayed for your city councilman, um, you, you really probably should be um, taking a back seat when it comes to posting all these Twitter threads on this or that thing on politics. If and, and, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate, Jason Storms said this in a talk he gave in County Before Country a couple of years ago, maybe a year ago. Um, he's also uh, uh, Matthew Trulies, I think it's his son-in-law. But here's what he said. And I think he's spot on with this. Your local civil magistrate, um, absolutely, you should know your local civil magistrate, right? That's a good thing. But more importantly, that local civil magistrate should know you. They should know you. You're that annoying Christian who comes and bears witness for Christ, who comes and says, why are we promoting this sin or this wickedness or this? And, and even if no one else is there, you show up and you're there. And there are brother pastors who are doing this. Uh, Tyler Terducci is one of them. He's gone to his city council. I'll have to send you the link on this. He's, he's appealed to them and called them to repent. And uh, I praise God for some of these men who have done this, who are doing this uh, in our state, but also in other states. And there's no shame in, in saying, hey, I get two minutes as a citizen. How can I make the most of every opportunity? I would say that most men uh, are very cowardly. Most men have embraced this quietistic. That's not the role of the church. That's the role of the, the state. And look, you don't have to be this uh, raging theonomist in any way, shape, or form to think like we're gonna we're gonna institute every you know civil judicial law. It's gonna be this you know golden age of Christianity if you show up there and you just give the gospel and you say based upon this legislation that you're supporting or this thing that you're proposing, it is directly in violation to the Word of God, and you will stand before the living God and give an account. I urge you to turn away from this and to repent and realize. Uh, that you are actually dividing um, this community. Uh, one of the things I actually did recently in the last couple of years was I wrote to, I live in Arlington Heights, so I wrote to our village board and I just said, this uh, thing, this proclamation that you've promoted is divisive. It is divisive because you are dividing uh, Christians from non-Christian neighbors on matters. You're dividing conservatives from liberals and you're taking a stand on some of these matters. Um, and what you're doing is you are... Um, not supporting the diversity of our community. You are taking a side and saying, this is the side of justice, right and wrong. And even if you say, no, 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 that's not what we were doing, you were. You did. You celebrated what many of us consider evil and unjust and wicked and immoral. And you pushed other people to think that this is right and wise. And right or wrong, good or evil, those who are civil magistrates 
their office has weight. And for younger, more vulnerable and impressionable people who can't think for themselves, um, particularly youth and others, if they hear someone say it, it must be true. It must be right, it must be good, it must be noble. And uh, so laws do this, civil magistrates do this, their voices do this. And um, I hope more Christians who fear the Lord will run for office. I think in Illinois, I think in other blue states, you'll get uh, run out pretty quickly if you actually wear your values on your sleeves. But I do hope and pray that uh, more and more will without shame say, um, this is what I believe. And uh, you can embrace all sorts of common sense measures, right, that actually are good for many people. But at the end of the day, you're going to be pressed and forced to answer, what do you believe about this raging topic of the day? And if you aren't able to give an articulate, clear answer that actually first and foremost honors God, which is your duty as a Christian, but then also is, is true and is faithful to the reality of the situation of the world, because that's what God wants as well, you to, you to bear uh, the, for the truth. You don't want to bear false witness there. If you're not going to do that as a civil magistrate, I actually don't want you serving as a civil magistrate. Probably just, you know, the public life is not for you. If you can't do that and stand up there and take the heat, uh, you should get out of the kitchen. Uh, absolutely. And uh, But those who actually are serving faithfully, who are God-fearing Christians, or maybe those who are not necessarily God-fearing Christians, but are supporting values and promoting legislation that actually is in line more with that, we should be praying for them and encouraging them. We should be commending them and have relationships with them. And uh, for those who are not, it's going to be harder to have access to them, but we still have every month, probably your city council or whatever has meetings where you can go. You can have two minutes to say what you'd like um, or a minute or whatever your, your um, five minutes sometimes. I don't think it's that, that's pretty long, but wherever you go, it could be at a, a school board meeting. It could be at a um, public library council meeting. It could be um, at a city council meeting or village council meeting. So, Try to think through what that looks like and, uh, and make those things known because a lot of people don't take advantage of those, I think. And we're in, we're in a place where we can still do that, and I actually think the time's going to come when that will probably be the way of the dodo. We don't have those opportunities or the venues. And uh, Christians are like, what are we supposed to do? What's our recourse? What can we do? And it's like, look, that's not going to usher in some golden age of Christianity, but you will get an opportunity to bear witness for Christ. And you never know what kind of fruit that might bear, even a few years down the line or even amongst those who are sitting with you waiting to you know, speak to the, the city council or the, the, the public library committee um, on some other topic. You know what I mean? It could, it could lead to all sorts of fruit that you aren't even aware of and I'm not even aware of. So I just think Christians need to be more faithful to take advantage of that, to be creative when it comes to that. And uh, as more and more abortion clinics, perhaps sadly in our state, do spring up in Illinois, uh, may we have pastors who are going there and, and preaching the word and saying, we can help you. There's a better alternative um, and connecting them to these places where the mother uh, with the baby can get help and actually choose life and, and then repent and hear the gospel and come to saving faith in Christ. We want that, and we want them to flourish. And I do think that Illinois has a unique opportunity. So do some other blue states as well, because you do functionally sacrifice your citizenship, as it were, and your vote. You know you're doing that. You're in a highly deep blue state. And so it's almost like uh, one, one guy I heard say it recently, is like, it's like a mission field. It's a mission field. You are here to be and make disciples for Christ, and our church is going to view, be viewed more as like a refuge. This is a safe haven. This is not the norm in terms of your neighbors you're going to come across, but we pray that hopefully the saints are equipped for the work of ministry, and part of the work of ministry is connected to the Great Commission, namely making disciples of the Lord Jesus who are taught to observe all that he commanded them. And that's another thing, too, is why do these things matter? Why do, they, why do these things, when it comes to politics and the social sphere matter, sphere matter? Well, because we are called to be taught all of the Lord Jesus commanded. And you, you have to ask yourself, okay, in what sphere is Jesus Christ not Lord? Is he Lord over my 
my work life, over my uh, community life, or my kids' school life, whatever else? The answer is yes to all those things. And so how are you going to actually say this and declare this without shame and, uh, and actually hold people to account? And, and hopefully some of them will behold the excellencies of Christ and find in Him uh, the sufficient Savior, the only Savior, because He is the only Savior. Great stuff. But um, you mentioned some practical steps there. Yeah. And uh, that's all to the good. Now, my question yeah. is, what framework would you fit those practical steps in? Because yeah. now we've been, uh, the last year or so, yeah. dealing with questions regarding Christian nationalism. Yeah. But before we get to that, right. um, I don't identify as a Christian nationalist mm -hmm. because I haven't read the relevant uh, yeah, books sure. or materials that have come out. Uh, what's wrong with Christian patriotism? So, you know, this involvement, these practical steps that you have uh, listed that Christians can take, yeah. would they fall in a framework of Christian patriotism where we want our fellow neighbor and fellow citizen uh, to flourish mm. according to these efforts that um, stand in the gap? Or must we self-consciously adopt some form of Christian nationalism? So the only thing I, you know, think about in terms of that is that this is kind of a new thing. It is new. It is and new. And patriotism I'm more familiar with because it's love of country. If you love your country, right, right. you do loving things out of love, out of the motive of love. And right. uh, that could involve um, service, sacrifice, yeah, whole list of other things, many of the things that you listed. Yeah, as practical steps, and um, why the need for Christian nationalism? Now, yeah. I understand just nat nationalism yeah. in general, which, ironically, I have no problem with. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm I'm probably um, more right than center, mm -hmm. uh, scary, scarily so. So. Um, <laughs> I just don't talk about it so much, but uh, I have no problem with nationalism. Yeah. Um, but I don't want the nation as it is now to, uh, you know, multiply its influence. Like, for example, you know, uh, recently, I yeah. recently, I think, what is it? One of the Secretary of Defense or State or somebody was giving a press conference and he was talking about how uh, LGBT is like at the core of what the United States wants to promote <laughs> in its foreign policy. And I'm like shaking my head, and I'm <laughs> we're on the brink of war, we're on the brink of war. and we are um, telegraphing that you know we're all about the LGBT to that's, China and everyone else, that's and really yeah. going to make <laughs> strike strike fear. Strike fear! Oh my <laughs> goodness, are. they are frozen in terror. And, Did you uh, see the Babylon Bee where it says something like um, uh, something like what was it, like foreign? Uh, I'm going to butcher the title, but it was like foreign uh, enemies of the U.S. now um, make U.S. troops shake in fear by mis misgendering them or yeah. <laughs> their pronouns. <laughs> their pronouns oh it's sad. But it's sad. No, it's sad. Well, this is the way Steve Day says it, and um, I, I do commend the Steve Day show to um, anyone and everyone who's listening to this. I don't know if you regularly listen to that show. I find it very helpful. I don't agree with everything, but I agree with much, most of what is said on there. And I would say this about what Steve Dace has said as of late, and I think he's spot on. The, we have to get our 
minds out of the idea that this is the United States of the 80s, the 90s, this kind of, you know, uh, post-Cold War, um, all this, you know, Fourth of July barbecue, baseball, apple pie, you know, there's a lot of things that we are able to do in this country, but the country and the values of this country that are promoted by the elites, that are promoted by those who are uh, running the nation, as it were, <laughs> um, they, they absolutely don't just need to be, and when I say they, I mean their ideas, I mean their, like their values. They, the, the ideas and values that are, they absolutely need to be destroyed. And, and, and pushed out of the um, social space and public sphere as being respectable, as being serious. They're not. They're not rational. They're illogical. They are uh, not, they're, they're wicked. <laughs> they are objectively evil. They cause great harm. They are, they are deceiving us. They are harming our future generations. That's another reason, by the way, that Christians must be engaged in politics because love of neighbor does not only extend to the here and now, it extends to the future generations. Uh, and uh, America, the United States of America, as it's currently being promoted across the world, and the ideas that we're claiming to value and these kinds of things that are being peddled by all these elites from all these sectors, it needs to, th those things need to be destroyed. Those values need to be undermined and pushed out. Absolutely. Um, when I think of the idea of, of Christian nationalism, so I'm actually in the middle of Wolf's book right now, and uh, a few of us are in our pastors group that meets monthly, we're actually going through and reading a review of uh, Doug Wilson's Empires of Dirt book. Um, and I have read that one, but one of our brother pastors in the area wrote a review of that. And it was a pretty critical review. Um, you know, mostly we're confessionally Reformed Baptists, these kinds of things, or Reformed Baptists that comes to soteriology. Um, and so have more of a, a hesitation when it comes to the idea of uh, reclaiming uh, the state for Christ. And look, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that I don't want Christians in control of, you know, the levers of power. However, when you look at the size, the mag, just the massive size of government, did, did for example, President Trump, this is going to probably get me in hot water, but did President Trump shrink the size of government? No, he didn't. It expanded. It grew. And so, when I think about the, the just massive size of government, the way it's getting in bed left and right with big business, left and right, and it's, it's becoming more fascistic. You know, you have, it's becoming more and more um, idolatrous by the moment. And, and some are very comfortable with this. Christian nationalism, you know, um, Perry and Whitehead uh, wrote that book, and they kind of mostly want to, you know, lump it into this bigoted, white evangelical, homophobia, whatever kind of sect or group, and it's, it's this poison, it's this toxic da-da-da-da-da that all evangelicals fall under somehow. Um, I don't think that, you know, is, is, is helpful. But the way that, um, the way that Wolf has defined it is uh, when you think about nationalism as advancing both earthly and heavenly good for Christ and having connections to not just the here and now but to the future as well. Um, he, he says this on one, at one point, early on. Nationalism refers to a totality of national action consisting of civil laws, social customs conducted by a nation as a nation in order to procure for itself both earthly and heavenly good. Absent from this definition is Christianity, the Christian nation, and the sole post-fall meaning of obtaining um, uh, good, uh, heavenly good that is, namely in Christ. And then he kind of devotes time to saying, um, look, the gospel does 
not supersede, abrogate, eliminate, or fundamentally alter generic nationalism. It assumes that it completes it. So he has this kind of interesting version of how he's using Christian nationalism that I think probably a lot of people could get on board with. Um, again, not saying the whole the whole of the book, as I haven't read all of that yet. But I think the problem with Christian nationalism has got multiple definitions. The Founders guys actually just did a really good job of defining that. Thomas Haskell at his Founders Conference did a very nice job of doing that and going through these different iterations to saying, if you mean this, sure, I'm a Christian nationalist. If you mean this, I'm not. Um, but I do think that the temptation is to um, find yourself in being like, you know what? Because the left is just all on board with growing the state, this and that, this and that, we're going to be all on board with growing the state as well. And I think there needs to be actually a more objective view to say, no, actually, when it comes to draining the swamp that many have claimed to want to do, that's a good thing. There's a lot of swampiness that does need to be drained out of there. There's a lot of things that need to be undermined and undercut and destroyed. There's a lot of things that must be done for the for the sake of love of neighbor, for the sake of the glory of God. Um, and just because it's not sustainable. You can't sustain a nation on this. I mean, many have talked about how the Western world, but in particular, Western civilization and the United States being one of the like last manifestations of that, um, it's on its last legs. It's on its last fumes. It's dying nation. It's declining, and it's being eaten and destroyed from within. And you do see this. You see this left and right for the, for the way that people are now hating their heritage and are, you know, casting aspersions on everything. There's no sense of... Uh, of uh, I could take you know I could take gladness in my my national identity as I I'm an American you know I, I belong to this nation these kinds of things and when people think of the American flag um, they are ashamed and they you know they, they they kneel for these kinds of things I think that the problem is that there's a healthy patriotism where it's not idolatrous where you actually value the fact that you know what this nation's not perfect um, but I I am grateful to belong here I'm grateful for the freedoms here the liberties here I'm grateful for many things here. Not everything here. But I also think that people have to realize the United States, as a country, what we're promoting now across the world. I mean, last I looked, you can't even get into this country unless you've taken the poisonous jab. You're not allowed to come from another country and come to this to this nation. That's an unjust law. That's a law that discriminates, that shows partiality. It's wicked. It's evil. Um, and by the way, it disproportionately affects people, not that anyone cares really, but... Who are, who are black and brown people, right? <laughs> people who claim to care so much about, oh, we want to we want to be accepting of black and brown people, make spaces for them, uh, except when it comes to actually entering in the law because they're not allowed to because they've been unjabbed and are willing to take that poisonous jab. So I just think that more and more, we, we as Christians have got to realize we need to push up or push back and even destroy ideas that are being peddled at the highest uh, levels of government uh, by people who are secularists and who hate God, hate our values, hate Christianity, um, years ago, Peter Berger drew attention to a quote. I think he popularized it. I don't think he coined it, but he was a sociologist, a late sociologist. And he said that the United States of America is a nation of Indians run by a nation of Swedes. And his comment there was basically saying the Swedes are by and large one of the most secular people in Europe. They don't, they're godless. But um, uh, the Indians are some of the most spiritual, some of the most somewhat, some, like non-Christians would call them, you know, um, superstitious, whatever you want to call it, but spiritual, religious, devoted in that way. And by and large, you do have in the United States a stubborn number of people who still call themselves Christians. I think it's like 70% still call themselves Christians in some capacity. Now that's that's broad, right? That's people who are identifying as Roman Catholic and, and Protestant, and probably you get all sorts of you know, sex and cults, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, right? But at the end of the day, there's a lot of people who are self-professing Christians, many who have 
somewhat of a biblical sense of values, morality, these kinds of things, right and wrong. But we are being dominated by um, academia and this churning out left-wing left wing students and secularists um, left and right. And they, they, they continue to go into these you know, big tech Silicon Valley uh, CEO positions who are promoting the same values. And then you have the media that is overwhelmingly controlled by and, and overwhelmingly leftist and hates God. And, and that's, you know, there's many studies that have been, that have, uh, Robert Barrow is an economist at Harvard who years ago wrote, like, it's just so easy to tell this. Like, it's so objectively leftist, and it's been slanted that way for decades now. Um, so the media, academia, um, you have, are, are very left, are very godless. But then also government, uh, the, the government at every level, federal, state, and uh, local. By and large, if you try to say, like, I'm a Christian, and uh, you just say, I worship and serve the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be tossed out as a radical and extremist who, you know, hates Muslims and is against this community or that community and, and could never be objective and can never actually carry out your duties in an objective way. You're just going to try to prioritize the Christians. Um, but we just need to be prepared to be labeled that way. And when it comes down to it, you're going to be marked as a Christian nationalist sooner or later probably. And I think depending on how that's defined, you can say, um, that could refer to me, but it might not. Um, it depends on how you define it. So I usually just tell people, define your terms. What do you mean by that? You give me what you think that means, because I'm not here advancing uh, a, a theocratic, I'm going to force you to be a Christian. It's very anti-Baptistic to think that if the Word of God won't compel someone to be a Christian, there's no way that a law will, <laughs> right? If the Word of God, you have Bible in your home, probably multiple, if the Scriptures won't convict you and compel you to turn and trust in Christ alone, there's no way that a majority of people teaming up on you are going to persuade you of that, or even a law that says you might go to jail for that is going to do that. If anything, will uh, make you rooted more in that. But Baptists also realize a Baptistic principle I've tried to help some guys see is that um, when it comes to like blasphemy laws and idolatry, like what do you do about that? And Wolf is getting to that. I'm just actually getting to that now in the book. Um, because historically, it's not uh, wrong to say, it, like even enforcing the Sabbath, has been seen as something that is connected to promoting the common good and decency and order in society that actually advances a Christian uh, national interest. Um, and so you're actually loving your neighbor objectively and caring for him and her and these kinds of things. But I think that um, I think that when it comes to not only these blasphemy laws and what do you do about that? What if what if a temple wants to be built to a Buddhist you know a Buddhist group wants to come? Um, do you give them taxes and these kinds of things? I think that Christians can actually say no. Um, and, and say they should not be given this or that exemption. And here's why we think that they are advancing a false religion. But that also doesn't mean, like, there's a big spectrum to say, and I also don't think they should be hunted down and forced to come to a Christian church and beat up and harmed and, you know, demonized. I want to persuade them. I want to give them the gospel. Because one of the things Baptists have always believed and have got to believe, and I think that some from other traditions don't maybe share as much, is the idea that, with the state, and this is true for dating, we used to say this in, in college as well, but it's also true for the state. If it can be done uh, by you, it can be done to you, right? So if you if you if you're in the if you're uh, we got a bunch of Baptists who are elected to uh, federal office, and then the tides change, and Baptists have been persecuting other Christian groups or other minorities of other, and then they have more people who are in office. What can be done by the state can be uh, on your behalf can be done against you on the state's behalf as majorities change and as pl you know pluralities change and whatever else comes in office. So Baptists have always been very hesitant to find in the state 
any kind of solace or comfort in thinking that we can advance things outside of um, uh, a very, you might say, limited role. Like, I want there to be limitations that are very clear and defined so that they're not stepping into all these areas of the church and areas of, of ecclesial uh, polity. And I don't want them involved in many family affairs. I realize the state has a legitimate role when it comes to divorce. But right now, frankly, what one uh, the area that most people don't want to talk about is divorce laws in this nation are against men and, and destroy men. They dominate men. And I actually have great sympathy for men who are very hesitant to get married because I've seen the fallout effect of many, many men who are now paying child support. I talked to one brother two weeks ago who told me, that he had to pay something like $40,000. It cleaned out his entire savings just so that he could actually maintain some rights to see his kids. So the lawyer fees were jacked up. Then he has all these other fees on top of that for other things when it came to the state that he had to, he had to pay. And so right now, uh, that, he's got nothing now. He lives in a tiny apartment, these kinds of things. And so we as Christian leaders need to actually push back against a big state that thinks that we can um, promote these ideas of being in a, because we are, here's the thing, we are in a matriarchal society. And people want to talk about that. We live in a matriarchal society where a woman can go and unilaterally, in a one-sided fashion, take the life of the offspring in her womb. The father has no say. And there have been many tragic cases, by the way, where the father says, I didn't want you to do this. But if he tried to intervene, guess what? She gets a restraining order against him. Like, that, that's one of these things that people don't want to talk about. And again, it doesn't mean that men are always moral, not by a long shot. Don't hear that. But... Um, Aaron Wren years ago pointed out that 70% of all divorces are filed by women. And, and so more women are filing for divorce than men. A lot of times they don't want it as much. Again, does this mean, oh, all men are moral? Does this mean, no. Does this mean that none of those 70% of divorces were biblically sanctioned? And No, doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean that there are, uh, in our society, certain sins that cater to women. Uh, we live in a very feminist, happy uh, culture that is glad to promote that and uh, thinks that if you're not doing that, um, you know, you hear, you hear phrases like, I, just re I read this book recently, I forget the name of the author, so um, if someone knows uh, who it is, you can, you can find it. But this guy basically said something like, um, you hear the phrase deadbeat dad, but you never have the equivalent for mom, right? Deadbeat mom. These kinds of things. It's always like, moms are heroes, most moms are saints, these kinds of things. And it's like, well, no, it's case-by-case -case basis. Some are wonderful, praise God for good moms, praise God for good dads. But um, most Christian men are going to find that the United States of America is it's what Rush Limbaugh called a feminazi society. It's a feminazi society still that we live in. And um, uh, there are many men who I think are afraid to speak and call women to identify and, you know, and put to death sins that are unique to women. And so they are much more comfortable leaning in and calling out the men for this why, this or that. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're timid when it comes to calling out pornography or the other sins when it comes to the lust of the eyes that, and abuse, physical abuse that men are engaged in, sadly, uh, disproportionately. But at the end of the day, um, even violence, whatever else, but at the end of the day, you should do both and. It should be preaching both and. And you do that whenever you come to the scriptures and you preach the sufficient whole counsel of God's word because you can't ignore the hard parts if you're going book by verse, verse by verse. And we have too many pulpits that are being shaped not by the sufficient and errant uh, word of God and the whole counsel of that word, but you have so many pulpits that are shaped by other things, including, by the way, I would say, popular faddish uh, books concerning Christian nationalism, popular ideas concerning I'm this or that. And so you see people putting their Twitter bio, right? I'm a Christian nationalist, and they're happy to do that. 
well, that just gives, in some ways, the left or the enemies of a god exactly what they want. Now I can label you and reduce you and say, look, they are trying to promote this theocracy. So I think there actually needs to be more thinking that takes place when it comes to just adopting the label. I think we need to have careful thinking, read up on it. I do think a lot of the critiques of Wolf's book um, so far that I've read, not all of them, but many of them have been uh, not as substantive as I would have liked. Because I think he does get into this very important political theology. I think he does actually address some very important things. I definitely have some issues with some of the things he says in there. But I would say this, that Christian nationalism is, um, is something that you always have to ask, okay, who, who am I really trying to reach? As Christians, we want to see the lost come to saving faith in Christ. We do want to see that. And so sometimes there's this unnecessary division, dividing line that actually doesn't bring us into conversation and into dialogue with people who we are um, trying to engage in dialogue with. And I think more and more people need to realize this. The society is so polarized that um, Jacques Ellul, have you ever read a book by him uh, called Propaganda? You read this book? So back in college, I read a book uh, by Jacques, Jacques Ellul on propaganda. And he said this, Propaganda ceases where simple dialogue begins. And if you're talking to your neighbor who does not share any of your values and is an atheist and is for everything under the sun when it comes to votes left every single time, you guys, you've had them in their home and, and, and you love one another, and your kids have even played together, right? All of a sudden, what that does, it actually disarms, it brings in the humanity piece. And uh, you can be very forceful and look someone in the eye who's your neighbor and say, you will bow the knee to Jesus. Your beliefs are wrong, you need to trust in Jesus Christ. But you are also sharing a meal, you're also sharing like a common living space, you're actually, you know, um, uh, caring for one another's kids, giving popsicles to one another's kids. And I think that what's happening is society has this division that's more and more trying to polarize us to say, the enemy's over there. Because as soon as you can dehumanize a person and say, if anyone who supports this or that value, uh, th they should be deserving of this or that. As soon as you can dehumanize them, you can destroy them. That's true for both right or left. And I think there's just a lot of principles that we as uh, Christians have to realize are being, we're being dehumanized, yes, but we can do the same to others who bear the image of God, who believe all sorts of things that, yes, are they are deceived. They are going against what God's word says. And I can say that to my neighbor, look him in the face, and still say, and I still love you, and I still want to keep this dialogue going. How did you arrive at that conclusion? What makes you think that's good for your small kid? Because what I've found is that kids who are, or parents with kids especially, they don't want this stuff by and large. Your average American, even secularist, doesn't want some of this stuff rammed down their kids' throats. I literally had a friend recently to say to me about a year or two ago, he is not a Christian, but he said to me, would, your, would, would you consider homeschooling our son? Because we don't want him in these secular schools. We don't trust the stuff he's going to be taught there. But we, 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 we'd rather have him be in that situation where you're teaching him Christian values explicitly and we trust you more than we trust the godless leftist um, state and then the state education that they're getting there. And so it was just a very fascinating thing to hear that from a man who's not a Christian at all. And I have another friend who's a, a, a principal of a, a, of a Christian school, and he was sharing that, yeah, sometimes there are non-Christians who come because they want to have a more sane upbringing and education uh, there as well. So they're happy to be like, fine, give them the gospel. I don't believe it, but it's going to be more close to the truth or close to reality than the stuff they're getting over there. So I just never want people to cut off that dialogue because I do think that's how we grow. Plus, as Christians, Proverbs 18, 13, 
1817, excuse me, says, he who states his case first seems right till another comes and cross-examines him. If you never take on the best the other side has to offer, and you steel man that argument, and you actually bring the best that they have to come, and you just straw man them left and right, that, that's not helpful for anyone. So we as Christians have got to get better about taking on the best arguments that the, the godless leftist secularist or whatever is bringing, but then realize at the end of the day there's spiritual forces at work that lead to that individual being blinded. And um, when it comes to Christian nationalism, we also must recognize that people are quick to level that charge because they want to dehumanize us. They want to distance themselves and our neighbors from us so that we're isolated, and then it's easier just to, well, we can wipe them out. We can destroy them. And uh, that's, that's not good for their souls. That's not good for anyone. But it goes both ways. And sometimes I think I hear some of this language of, wanting to destroy or drive out like Hindu neighbors, you know, these kinds of things, or, or Muslims. You better believe we're going to destroy the mosques, these kinds of things. And I'm just like, how about if the mosques just become Christian churches? How about if we just, you know what I mean, see them converted and renewed and this kind of a thing, instead of trying to forcibly, um, you know, eject our neighbors from these lands, who now we have opportunity to dialogue with them. And uh, frankly, I have found, by the way, that Muslims are more open to that uh, often than many, many uh, leftist seculars are. It sounds uh, a lot along the lines of the early church. The early church, right, right, engaging <laughs> their neighbors in yes. conversation and building trust and um, being mocked and persecuted, but then still being there and, and yes. then being looked to, and then finally joining them. Yeah, you know? uh, that's uh, God's providence in uh, bringing this conversation around because uh, I mentioned my early experience of hearing the preacher talk about the institutions of marriage and church and, and the state and pastor we we scratched the surface on a lot of things we but, did um, all good stuff and um, I want to end it here so that we could have just a fully orbed uh, conversation which this was and I thank you so much for your time and we will speak again on other matters yes and uh, I think I'm going to put a, a little uh, plant a seed in your mind and maybe in the audience's mind about the kingdom of God and the kingdom not being of this world. That's good. Um, That's good. Just, I'll just leave it there. And uh, Thank you so much for your time, Pastor, and I'll see you soon. Yes, my joy. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be, be with you guys and your audience. Thank you. Thank you for joining us at Urban Buritano. We look forward to catching up with you on your next stop along your journey to the city prepared by God for all true believers. 